This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Our lesson today is famines, flocks, and fights. And uh, interesting passage of Scripture. Let's pray. Our Father... Would you guide our thoughts this morning as we look into your word? May the Holy Spirit be our teacher. And I pray, God, that you will teach us some things this morning that will cause us to be victorious in our lives and our, the progression of our faith. And, Lord, help us to learn uh, to deal with circumstances and people and things. And, and so, Lord, we just commit this to you. And thank you for what you're going to do for us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, um, <clears throat> Amy Carmichael, who was a missionary in India, made this statement. I think it's a pretty good statement. Uh, she says, life can be difficult. I don't think any of us will dispute that statement, will we? Life can be difficult. Sometimes the enemy comes in like a flood. But then... This is the time to prove our faith and to live our songs. You know, a lot of times we sing in songs uh, things that we really don't live. And uh, <clears throat> that should be a challenge to us. It should be a source of conviction to us, actually, that some of the songs that we sing, we sing it. And then, uh, and, and, you know, I think we're all guilty sometime of, we, we know some of these hymns so well, we just sing them by rote and really don't pay attention to the message. But if we would give our, our attention sometimes to what we're singing, it might be an enlightening experience for us to realize that we're not really, we're not living up to what we're singing. And, uh, and uh, that's a process of our faith, to help us to grow into greater faith. And that's really what our lesson is about today, to, uh, some th there's some things here that happened in Abraham's life, Abraham and Sarah and Lot, that I think to, can teach us some things in this matter of growing our faith and uh, realizing what causes our faith to grow. It doesn't just happen. Uh, God allows things to come into our life that uh, he put us in the school of learning, the school of faith, to learn some very things and, and allows things to come into our life in order us to teach us and to help us to grow in our faith and in our relationship with him. And that's the essence of the lesson this morning. A faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. You should write that statement down someplace where, it's, uh, where you often view it. A faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. Peter compared the Christian's trial to, to, uh, to the testing of gold in a furnace. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 7, we're familiar with that verse of Scripture. And then the patriarch Job also used that same image. And here's what Job said. He said, But he knoweth the way that I take, and when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. You know, in order for gold to be produced, it has to go through a process. In order for it to be produced in its form of purity, it has to go through a process of burning off the dross and, and so on. And so God puts us through a process that causes us to grow in our faith and our relationship with him. God's purposes is allowing trials, of allow, in allowing trials, is to not only verify our faith, but also to purify it and remove the dross in our lives to help us to grow in him. God knows what kind of faith we have. The truth is, we don't. Sometimes we think our faith is strong, but when we're faced with various circumstances of life and different things in life, we find out that we're really weak in our faith. All of us go through those experiences, and uh, sometimes we just feel so weak and find ourselves to be so weak. And so, uh, <clears throat> the only way to advance us in the school of faith is to take us to the test, for us to take the test and pass them. Um, 
I don't know about you, but I failed some tests when I was going through school. Anybody here like me? Oh, you don't have to admit that. <laughs> but I failed some. But you know what? I reached the goal anyway. I failed some tests when I was in college. Even to the point I was called in one time and said, <clears throat> you know. And, um, but, but you know what? I finally graduated. Now, it took me a little longer than some others, but I did graduate, you know. In fact, I came out of college with two degrees. And, uh, and I actually did better in graduate school than I did in undergraduate school. I didn't, I, didn't I didn't graduate sum laude or cum laude or whatever it is, cum sum laude or, <clears throat> or uh, whatever that may be, but, but I did graduate. And, uh, and here I am, but I, but I made some, I was a failure along the line. And the truth is in our Christian life, we fail sometimes. And don't look at me with a pious face because you've done the same thing. <laughs> and so like Abraham, as we progress in the school of faith, we'll face three special tests. The test of circumstances, the test of people, and the test of things. Let me say something about this people thing. John Little, who's with the Lord now, <clears throat> uh, we supported he and Martha as missionaries. In fact, we, we still uh, support Martha. They were missionaries with Armed Forces Baptist Missions. And um, John Little and I pastored in Hopewell, Virginia together. He was pastor of Trinity Baptist Church. I was pastor of uh, Temple Baptist Church. And John was having some problems in his church and, <clears throat> and uh, we were in the bank together one day and met in the bank and, and uh, John was sharing his burdens with me a little bit. And I made this statement to John. I said, John, you know, if it wasn't for people, we could have great ministries, couldn't we? But you know, the ironic thing about that statement is that people is our ministry. And um, later on, our two churches merged. And uh, John became my associate pastor in Temple Baptist Church. I mean, uh, Trinity Baptist Church merged with Temple Baptist Church. Actually, Trinity Baptist Church had been a, um, a split off of Temple Baptist Church in years past, not during, not during the time of my ministry there. And so it was really quite a good testimony to bring the two back together again. I'm going to say something about church problems here a little bit later on if I have the time to do it. I, <clears throat> I'm quickly running out of time here. But, but um, um, church problems are a result of carnal people. Always. They're a part of carnal people. They're, they're, they're created by carnal people. And that's all I'm going to say about that right now. <clears throat> but anyway, um, people is our commodity. But anyway, there are three things, circumstances, people, and things, and that's where we're going to focus our time today. The first one, Roman numeral one, is circumstances. Now look at Genesis chapter 12 and verse 10. It says, there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down into Egypt. But that first line there, there was a famine in the land. Remember our lesson last week that God had called Abraham to come out of the Ur of the Chaldees, went to Haran for a little time and parked there, shouldn't have. He, God told him to go on to Canaan, but, uh, but he, he, he uh, delayed, shouldn't have. And, um, but anyway, he finally now is in Canaan, he and Sarah. And there's a famine in the land. So in leaving his family and traveling uh, to that unknown land, Abraham took, on, took a great step of faith. He had no idea where God was taking him. Had no idea about the land that God was leading him to. But when he got there, he found out there was a, a famine, or at least shortly after he got there, there was a famine in the land. So he took a great step of faith. And so there he saw God a second time, and we'll talk a little bit a little bit later about that second appearance 
The first time that God met with him was in the Ur of the Chaldees when, when God said, get up and go. And now he meets God a second time, and uh, he, word, he, he heard his word of promise, God's word of promise. Abraham and Sarah probably expected to settle down there and enjoy a new life in their new home. That's what they were looking forward to. And, um, but God wouldn't let them do that. Instead, God permitted a famine to come into the land, and there is no record that Abraham ever faced a famine in Ur of the Chaldees or even in Haran. And so here's a new experience for him. He comes to a new land, and he finds himself in the midst of a famine. And um, God was, uh, now, that, now that he was in God's, God's land, um, and he had to find food for a large company of people, plus flocks and herds. Uh, you can look over, if you want to, in chapter 14, in verse 14, and there we find out that, that Abraham had 300 plus servants, plus his herds. That's a lot of people to feed. That's, a, that's, a, that's quite a um, large company to be responsible for. But there's a famine in the land. Now, why did God allow that famine to come? Well, obviously, he did it to teach Abraham and Sarah, Sarah the basic lessons in the school of faith. Tests often follow triumphs. You ever had a spiritual victory in your life? And then the next day, Satan hit you. Brother Gene, I can tell by your, by your response to that that that's happened to you a couple of times. I have an idea, maybe more than a couple of times. <laughs> well, maybe all of us have experienced that. You know, it's been a real victory. And we're praising God, and then all of a sudden, it seems like the props are knocked out from under us. Why does God allow that? That's a good question. And I hope we can answer that question today. Uh, this principle, by the way, is illustrated in the history of Israel. No sooner had, they, had that nation been, uh, been delivered from Egypt, what happened? The Egyptians chased them and cornered them at the Red Sea. Remember that? I mean, they thought they had a great victory. They were out of Egypt, or they were headed out. And here comes the Egyptians right behind them, the army. But thank God, God was there too. And we know what happened there. And so testing follows triumph. God brought them, brought them through that. But then they faced another problem. When they got out in the wilderness, they found out they didn't have any water. And then after that, there was, they were hungry. And then they were attacked by the Amalekites. It was just one thing right after another. But all of that was God's leading and God's working in their lives to mold and shape their faith. Now, they failed a lot of the tests, but eventually, uh, they, uh, by and large, um, reached the goal. A young believer said this. He, he said, I thought that getting saved was the end of all my troubles, but now I know that faith in Christ has given me a whole new set of troubles, a whole new set of problems. But now there's, a, there's two differences. And he added this with a smile. He says, I don't face them alone because the Lord's with me. And I know that he allows them for my good and for his glory. And so anytime God brings something adverse into your life, just step back and say, you know, <clears throat> I know God is causing this for his glory and for my good. And I know God is there and he's going to take me through this. Uh, just think about those Israelites that were, that were cornered there at the Red Sea. Uh, Moses said, stand back and see the salvation of the Lord. Moses had vision that the average person didn't have. And lo and behold, the, the waters opened up. Who would ever expect that to happen? But God let it happen, didn't he? And that's what God does for us many times. He brings us to the corner where we think, man, we're trapped. And then all of a sudden, the the corner opens up, and it's just a, an increase in our faith. One of the enemies of life is our pride. When you win a victory, you may feel overconfident. 
You may start telling yourself, well, I can defeat the enemy anytime. I, I can do it on my own. And so you start depending on your own past experience and, and uh, you're, you're growing, you're increasing knowledge of the Word of God instead of depending wholly upon the Lord. Now, we ought to grow in the Word of God. We've got to do that because God uses that, the Holy Spirit uses that in our life in this process of developing our, our faith. But the truth is we need to keep our eyes steadfastly fixed on Jesus Christ and follow Him. Um, it's interesting that in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13, it says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. And God, but God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but with, will with the, with the temptation make a way to escape. But there's a verse that precedes that verse 13. Verse 12, here's what it says. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. And so we need to be vigilantly uh, watching and, and trusting the Lord. God did what Abraham, uh, God, did, God, did, God did not want Abraham to become proud and self-confident. So he put him into the furnace of testing. Now after you won a victory of faith, you can expect the, the enemy to attack or the Lord to test you, or both. And this is the only way that you can grow in your faith. God uses the torch. Uh, God uses the, the, the touch. God uses the touch circumstances, the tough circumstances. I can't even read what I got written here. I'm battling the circumstances right now. God uses the tough circumstances of life to build the, build the muscles of your faith to keep you, from, uh, keep you from trusting something other than his word. Uh, if you've ever done any bodybuilding, you know, if you've ever gone to the gym, uh, you know you have to put some work into that, There's barbells or whatever you use there at the gym. If you build muscle, it's going to take some pain to do it. Uh, no pain, no gain, right? You ever heard that? And uh, so <clears throat> uh, to build the muscles of our faith, God has to allow us to suffer a little pain sometimes. Instead of uh, remaining in the land and trusting the Lord to help him, Abraham went down into Egypt. That's a bad thing. Look at verse 10. Let's read the rest of it. And there was a famine in the land, and Abraham went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. It wasn't just a famine, it was a grievous famine. So in the Bible, Egypt is a symbol of the world system. Uh, <clears throat> it just seems to work out that way. It's a symbol of the world system and its bondage. And while in the land of Israel is a picture of the inheritance of God's blessing to you, uh, we mentioned last week that <clears throat> we, you know, we sing that song, um, uh, I can't get it. Um, cross over Jordan. What is it? I don't have to cross Jordan alone. Yeah, that's not the one I wanted. I think I said that's true. We don't. But anyway, crossing over into the land of Canaan is not like is is not a picture crossing into heaven. It's a picture conflict. It's a picture of. Israel uh, getting the inheritance that God promised to them. And so, <clears throat> um, but going down into Egypt is a picture of going down into the world, going into the world. Israel's a picture of the inheritance of God's blessing. When people went up to Jerusalem, they went up. But when they went to Egypt, they went down. And spiritually speaking, going down to Egypt means doubling, uh, uh, doubting God's promises and, and uh, running to the world for help. So when the circumstances become difficult and you're in the furnace of testing, just, uh, just remain where God has put you until he tells you to move. And when he tells you to move, things will work out. Faith moves in the direction of peace and hope. 
but unbelief moves in the direction of restlessness and fear. And in times of testing, the important question is, not how can I get out of this, but what can I get out of this? That's what we ought to be asking ourselves. Lord, what do you have here for me to learn? What is it that I can learn in this situation? And so <clears throat> Abraham failed that test, the test of circumstances. So mark that one off. Abraham failed. Okay? And that brings us to the second test, and that's Roman numeral two, people. The test of people. And I, I'm not going to take the time to read all of these verses. I, I hope... I hope each week you will read ahead uh, so that I don't have to read all these verses and you'll know where we're going here. But this is Genesis chapter 12 and verse 11 through chapter 13 and verse 4. We'll just get started here. I won't read all of it. Let me just read a couple of it to kind of give you the idea of where we're going here. Verse 11, it came to pass when he was come near to enter into Egypt that he said unto Sarai his wife, behold now. I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. Uh, therefore, it shall come to pass when the Egyptians see thee, that they shall say, this is his wife, and they will kill me. But they will save thee alive. And so he said to her, I pray thee, thou art my sister. You say, uh, say, uh, say I pray thee, uh, thou art my sister, that it may that it may be well with me for thy sake, and thy soul shall live because of thee. And then, uh, then the rest of the verses there. But uh, now we're going to deal with people. Uh, once they were in Egypt, Abraham faced a new set of problems. For if you turn away from one test without, without um, enduring the test and working through the test uh, with God's help, uh, it'll lead you to another one, for sure. And that's what happened to Abraham. Instead of dealing with the famine in the land where God sent him, he said, well, I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to go where there's something to eat. And so he took Sarah and his company, at least some of them, uh, down into Egypt. And uh, once you enroll in the school of faith, you're not allowed to drop out of class just because, one, because of one failure. If you do, there's going to be another one comes soon. God has purposes to fulfill in you and through you, and he'll do all that's necessary to make you succeed. In Canaan, Abraham had to deal with a famine. But in Egypt, he had to get along with the proud ruler and, and his officers down there in Egypt. You know what happened if you've read ahead. Uh, Pharaoh said, uh, Pharaoh, when, when Pharaoh asked, asked uh, Abraham, said, who is this? And, and Sarah said, well, I'm his sister. Well, that was a half lie. He, uh, he, she was his half-sister, but she was really his wife. And, um, <clears throat> and so Pharaoh took her into his harem and was about to make her his wife, one of his wives, God intervened. God said, nothing doing. And he stirred Pharaoh's nest and brought uh, judgment on Pharaoh as a result of that. And, and Pharaoh realized that, hey, something's not right here. And so he went back, as you've read this, read this portion, he went back to Abraham and said, why did you tell me she was your sister when she's your wife? And you know, Pharaoh could have done a lot of damage to Abraham. But instead, he gave Sarah back to him, and in the process, gave, gave, uh, gave uh, Abraham riches and cattle and, and flocks, and gave Sarah a handmaid. That's where Hagar came from. She was an Egypt, Egyptian. And um, <clears throat> so, uh, what, um, what could have been a real tragedy, a tragic thing, uh, didn't turn out to be quite as tragic as it could have been. So letter A, first, Abraham moved from trusting to scheming. Um, he didn't have any altar in Egypt. And he didn't call on the Lord for guidance and help either in Egypt. His altar was in Canaan. And that's where he should have been. He should have been, and his tent was, was in Canaan. 
And uh, so um, uh, when you stop trusting God's word, you start leaning on man's wisdom. And that leads to trouble. Abraham and Sarah brought this half-truth with them from the Ur of the Chaldees. They brought some baggage with them from Ur of the Chaldees. And, uh, and they used it in Egypt. And you know, the sad thing about this is they didn't learn much because they used it again in Gerar. When you get over into chapter 20, you're going to find that Abraham and Sarah did the same thing there. And it resulted in, in uh, the same way. And, uh, and their son Isaac adopted it because he used it in chapter 26. We'll get to there someday. But when you find yourself scheming in order to escape problems with people, Beware, because there's a lot more trouble ahead of you. So first of all, Abraham moved from trusting to scheming, and then letter B. Next, Abraham moved from confidence to fear. He had a lot of confidence, but then he started fearing. When you're in a place of God's choosing, you don't have to fear about anything. You don't have to be afraid about anything. When you're in the will of God, you're in the perfect place where God wants you. You don't have to fear anything. Uh, for faith and fear can't dwell in the same heart. And uh, Isaiah chapter 12 and verse 2 tells us that truth. The fear of the Lord is the fear that conquers every fear. But the fear of man bringeth a snare. God had repeatedly said to Abraham, I will. But now Abraham was saying, they will. Uh, look at verse 12. Chapter 12 and verse 12. Uh, Abraham says, therefore, or the Bible says, therefore it shall come to pass when the Egyptians shall see thee that they will say, this is his wife, and they, and they will kill me, and they will save thee alive. So he stopped trusting in what God would say and started fearing what they would say. Well, that's a bad situation. And uh, Abraham um, got his eyes off of the Lord. Number a letter C. Third, Abraham moved from others to self. He lied so that he might so that it might be well with me for Sarah's sake, it says in verse 13. Might be well with me for thy sake. You know, as a husband, Abraham should have thought of his wife first and not himself. He stopped thinking about others and started thinking about himself. He was the important one now. In fact, she had never, he should have never taken his wife there in the first place. A husband, out of the will of God, can bring a lot of trouble to his family. Do you hear that, men? A husband, out of the will of God, can bring a lot of trouble to his family. When I, was, uh, when I was a young preacher, and uh, after my first pastorate there in Indianapolis, uh, God moved us to Hopewell, Virginia, and then thirdly moved us here. I made Jan a promise. I said, honey, I promise you I will never get us out of the will of God. Now, I can't say that I've never been out of the will of God. But every move that I've made in, in pastoral ministry has been very clear to me that it's the will of God. When I, when I went to Hopewell and the candidated there at Temple Baptist Church, I went back and told Jan, I said, God's going to move us to Hopewell. I had that assurance in my heart. And the same thing happened when we came here. And, uh, and, uh, and because of that, I believe that God has blessed our ministry because, because I have determined not to get us out of the will of God. And, it's, and that's so important. Well, um, number four, or letter D, rather, fourth. Abraham moved from being a blessing, or bringing a blessing, he moved from bringing a blessing to bringing judgment. God called Abraham to be a blessing to the nations. We studied that was it last week, I think, over in chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. God said, I will bless them that bless thee, and I will make you a great nation, and they will be a blessing to the world. 
and the Jews indeed have indeed been a blessing to the world. But because of Abraham's disobedience, judgment fell on Pharaoh and on his household. We read that in verse 17 of, uh, of this chapter. And uh, um, several years later in chapter 20, when they did it in Gerar, the same thing happened. You know, that happened to Jonah. Remember Jonah? He ran from the will of God and he caused a storm and almost sank the boat. They had to throw him out of the boat to keep the boat from sinking. And so what I said a little while ago holds true, that um, a man out of the will of God can bring a lot of problems to a lot of people. So God graciously watched over his servant and brought him out of a difficult situation. Notice this. Take note of this. If Sarah had become one of Pharaoh's wives, what would, what would have happened to that promised redeemer that we read about back in, uh, where is it, chapter 3 and verse 15? What would have happened there? Uh, when we don't let God rule, he generally overrules us and accomplishes his purpose anyway. Uh, just as he did in this case. And, uh, but we pay, we, pay personal, uh, we pay a personal price because of that dearly uh, for our disobedience when we're not obedient to God. So Abraham learned this lesson and, uh, and he repented and then he went up out of Egypt. Uh, when, you, when you disobey the will of God, the only right thing to do is for you to go back where you left him and make, and make a new beginning. When failure, uh, no failure is permanent in God's school of faith. And so Abraham said, okay, I've made another mistake. I've failed another test. So what did he do? He recognized his mistake, asked for God to forgive him, and went up out of Egypt back to Canaan back to his altar, and back to his tent. If you're out of fellowship with God, the thing that you need to do is to go back to where you got out of fellowship with God, repent of your sin, get right with God, and get back to your altar. New beginnings. Um, the Christian life is a, is a series of new beginnings, and no failure is permanent in the school of faith. So, you know, somebody may have said this. They, they said, you know, <clears throat> what happened to Abraham wasn't all that bad. Pharaoh gave Abraham a lot of wealth. Verse 16 and 13, 2 tells us that. And Sarah was given her, uh, given her own maid, Hagar, uh, who was an Egyptian. We read that in chapter 16, verse 1. And God forgave Abraham's sin, and he started over again. So what's the big problem? Here's the problem. The big problem is that everything Abraham received in Egypt later caused a lot of trouble. Yeah, he got wealth. Hagar got a handmaid, you know. He got flocks and so on. But because of their wealth, Abraham and Lot couldn't live together. They had to separate. We read that over in chapter 13. And... Um, and then Hagar, the Egyptian handmaid, brought division and sorrow in their home. Genesis chapter 16. And then having had, to, had a taste of Egypt, which is the world, Lot started measuring everything by what he saw there in Egypt. And that led his, his downfall, a downfall, downfall and his ruin, the ruin of his family. There are no benefits in disbelief or disobedience. We don't get any benefits from disobedience from God. So the practical lesson is this. Practical lesson from all of this is simply that never abandon your altar. Never leave it. Stay with it. And uh, stay in fellowship with the Lord no matter what the circumstances are. And if you, if you, have, if you have disobeyed God, <clears throat> And, and God is disciplining and Go back to the place where you left him and make things right. Remember, the victorious Christian life is a series of new beginnings. 
We've all had to go back and start over again at some point in our lives. But that's a part of increasing our faith, growing our faith in the Lord. So here's the, here's the situation. Abraham has two failures now. He failed in the circumstances, with the circumstances. He failed in dealing with people. But what about things? This is Roman numeral three. What about things? Um, how did he fare with things, dealing with things? This begins in chapter 13 at verse 5. It says, And Lot also, which went with Abraham, his flocks and herds and tents, and the land was not able to bear them, that they might dwell together, for uh, their substance was great, so that they could not dwell together. And there was a strife between the herdmen of Abraham's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle, and the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelling in the land. Take note of that phrase. The Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled in the, in the land. Wonder why that statement's in there. It's a true statement. They were there. But why is it? Why did the Holy Spirit put that there? Could it be that these unbelievers were watching the quarrel between Abraham and Lot? I think so. And Abraham said to Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen. Uh, for we be brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. And if thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right. And if thou, if thou depart to the right hand, then I'll go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes, and behold, the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered every, every, uh, everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord like the land of Egypt, as thou camest uh, unto Zoar. Then, uh, then, Lot chose, then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and, the, and, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves one from another. And Abraham dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent toward Sodom. That's a disaster. And the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. Verse 14, and the Lord said unto Abraham, after that lot was separated from him, Abraham, lift up your eyes. Look from, look from the place where thou art toward the north and toward the south and toward the east and toward the west. All of that land which thou seest to thee will I give it and to thy seed forever. What a contrast. Now let's talk about it. What about things. Many family fights have been caused by the love of money. I can't tell you in the course of my ministry how many people in our church, of our church families, have had family disputes over mom and dad's will. You ever been in the middle of anything like that? I've known families that have just been shattered because of that. So stupid. It's things, folks. It's just things. It's money. The newspaper often publishes reports about families battling in court because of an inheritance or a lottery winning. Many fam families have even been shattered over their parents' wills, as I just mentioned. People who used to love each other, enjoy each other, began attacking each other just because of money. But money cannot buy the blessings that family relationships can buy. Family relationships are so important, but some of them have just been shattered. Abraham may have failed the first two tests, but actually he passed this test. He was, uh, he was successful at this. This test was not easy. It involved land and it involved wealth, but Abraham is an example of what every believer should do when there's a dispute about things. 
Things are not eternal, folks, folks. You can't take it with you, okay? And so letter A, Abraham determined to be a peacemaker, not a troublemaker. The problem between Abraham and Lot was not caused by the land or the famine or their wealth. Both of them were rich. Abraham and Lot were both rich. Or even their herdmen. Chapter 13, verse 7 actually tells us that. But the heart of every problem is the problem of the heart. The heart of every problem is the problem of the heart. Lot's heart was centered on wealth and worldly achievement, while Abraham at this point wanted only to please the Lord. Amos said, can two walk together except they be agreed? Oh, what a statement that is. It's bad enough that this, 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 this dispute was between brethren, but even worse, the heathen people were there. When Christians have disputes, it hurts the testimony of the Lord. Every church dispute creates problems. And the unsaved world looks at that. I can't tell you how many people, in my witnessing to people, say, well, you know, there's a lot of hypocrites in the church. You know that church down there, they split two or three times, and every sinner in town knows about the church splits. Warren Wearsby recounts this. He said, in my pastoral ministry, I frequently visited the unsaved relatives and friends of church members, seeking to interest them in spiritual things, only to discover, to discover that they knew about every church fight in town. No wonder our Lord prayed that his people might be one and that the world might believe. That's in John chapter 17. Christian unity is fought, excuse me, uh, is, um, Christian unity is fragrant and fruitful according to Psalm 133. But this unity turns that fragrance into a stench and the garden into a desert. And um, what he has experienced, I've experienced in the ministry myself. Now I know we're running out of time here, but I want you to turn to a passage of scripture that's so important. Back to the New Testament, book of James. Let's turn there and just read uh, several verses out of the book of James, which fits, uh, fits our lesson here. James chapter 3. I want to start in verse 13. You may still be turning, but I'm going to begin reading here. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conscience his works with meekness of wisdom. But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your heart, glory not, and lie not one against another. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. And where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy, and good fruits without partiality, without hypocrisy, and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence out of, the, out of your lusts that war in your members? Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain, ye fight and war, and yet ye have not because ye ask not. You ask and receive not, because you ask amiss, that it may that you may consume it upon your lust. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be the friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you think that the Scripture saith in vain, the Spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? But he giveth more grace, and wherefore he saith. God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, that he'll flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of, of the Lord, 
and he will lift you up. That ought to be the Spirit's, that ought to be the Christian spirit. That ought to be the Christian's uh, verses, uh, uh, verses of peace. Abraham was a peacemaker. He was not a troublemaker. Covetousness is our problem. What is covetousness? It's an insatiable appetite for, for more things. Somebody asked, I think, it was, I think it was Rockefeller one time. Somebody asked, what does it take to make a rich man happy? You know what his answer was? A little more money. <laughs> it leads to all kinds of evil, this covetousness does. And in order to get more money, people will lie. Proverbs 21, 6 tells us that. They'll mistreat people, 21, uh, Proverbs 22, 16. They'll cheat, Proverbs 28, 8. And uh, the whole trouble, uh, and, and even cause trouble in their families, Proverbs uh, 15 and verse 27. Here's a summary. Abraham had caused trouble in Egypt because he was in the wrong place. Lot caused trouble in Canaan because he was out of place. His heart was really in Egypt. And according to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 through 3, 3, there are three kinds of people in this world. There's the natural man, that's the unsaved. There's the carnal man, that's the saved, but living for themselves, living for the world and for the flesh. And then there's the spiritual man. That's a person who's devoted to God. And we find all three of these here in this 13th chapter. For example, the natural man was the men of Sodom. The carnal man was Lot. The spiritual man was Abraham. Lot was a righteous man, the Bible tells us in 2 Peter chapter 2. It tells us that Lot was a righteous man, but he was not devoted to God. It's possible to be saved, to be a Christian, and still be a carnal Christian. Not devoted to God, not serving God, but serving yourself. And I, I hope I'm not speaking to anyone either here in this classroom or by live stream today that's that kind of a Christian, carnal Christian. It's carnal Christians that create problems in our churches. Every time when there's a church problem, it's carnal Christians that are involved in it. Every time. I thank God I've never pastored a church that's gone through a church split. Now, we've had people leave. We've had people get mad at me as pastor and leave. Uh, I don't blame them. <laughs> My wife gets mad at me, but she's never left me. <laughs> and boy, am I glad. <laughs> but people get mad at you in church and they'll leave, you know. But I've never, I've, I've never, our church has never had, none of our churches I've ever passed have had a church split. But I say, well, there have been people that have left, but not church splits. But every church split that I've known of, there's always been either a group of people or one person individually that gets a group of people around them that causes the problem and causes the split. There's always a kingpin. And you, you, can, you, can, you can put your finger on them. But usually they get a little group around them, you know. They start talking behind pastor's back and deacon's back and so forth and cause trouble. But uh, anyway. <clears throat> okay, let me see, where am I here? Letter B. Abraham lived for others and not for self. While he was in Egypt, Abraham thought first about himself. But when he returned back to his altar in Canaan, he put God first. And as the elder, as the elder of the two, Abraham could have, he could have, he could have, um, uh, he could have told Lot what to do. But you know what he did? He gave Lot the choice. He said, Lot, I want you to look out here and decide, you know, where you want to go. You pick it out. And so Lot picked out what appealed to him and the flesh. Uh, the, the plains of Jordan. You know, it's kind of an interesting thing. Um, when he, uh, 
after he after Lot got finished picking out what he wanted, God says, "Come here, Abraham. I got something very special for you. Look eastward. Look north. Look west. Look 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 west. All of this is going to be yours. I'm giving it to you." And you know what? What Lot got, he lost. Remember that? He lost it. But what God gave to Abraham is still Abraham's. And they, they occupy it today. Isn't that something? Well, they don't occupy everything that God gave to Abraham, but they will one day. During the millennium, it'll all be theirs. Well, let me move ahead. I'm three minutes over time here. Letter C, Abraham lived by faith and not by sight. Um, <clears throat> going back to letter B there, uh, live for others. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 4 fits here. It says, uh, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. So anyway, Abraham lived by faith and not by sight. I'm going to have to bring this to a close. So, But I, I left all these notes in your notes so you can read it. And I hope you will read it. But letter D, let me, give you the, let me give you the blanks. Letter D, Abraham, let God choose for him and not himself. Abraham, let God choose for him, not himself. And then letter E, Abraham, think, Abraham gave thanks to God and not to himself. He thanked God. So <clears throat> Abraham failed the first two tests, but he passed the third one. And God blessed him because of it. Now, I don't know how many tests you've failed. Uh, maybe, you've ma maybe you've failed many tests. But you know what? The life of faith is a life of new beginnings. And if you failed a test, all you need to do is go back to the place where you left. Go back to the altar. Get on your face before God. And say, God, I failed. Help me not to fail again. And, and let God do a mighty, marvelous, wonderful work in your life and increase your faith. Let God increase your faith. Handle these circumstances and these people and these things in a godly manner. And you'll see that it'll all work out for, for the glory of God. Father, thank you so much for these promises. Thank you, God, for the examples that we have in your word of your working and the increasing of faith. And so, God, we pray that you'll help us to be men and women who will be willing to pass the test and increase our faith for Jesus' sake. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened and God's Word has had an impact on your life as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.